Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence, learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. We have an epic two-part show today, starting with my fascinating special guest. In June 1983, a very small, undistinguished public relations firm opened its doors, founded on a tiny borrowed desk in a hair salon in Southern California. The firm became legendary in the media world, winning countless awards, representing over time a record-breaking 58 Academy Award winners, 34 Grammy Award winners, 43 New York Times bestsellers, along with myriad corporations, entrepreneurs, attorneys, doctors, authors, inventors, realtors, producers, directors, and business owners. Michael Jackson was a client in 1993 and 1994. The firm's founder had a poor childhood in Fort Lee, New Jersey, struggling in learning with dyslexia. While describing his mother as an alcoholic and father passive, he attributes much of his success to their instilling in him a will to succeed. My guest is the only person who's spoken at Harvard University and the University of Oxford who did not receive a college degree. Meet writer, PR expert, author, and founder of Boundless Media, Michael Levine. Michael, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hello, Molly. How are you today? I could not be more fabulous, my friend, because I have a chance to chat with you. Well, I'm excited about it. Thank you so much for sharing your, your valuable your audience with me. Well, thank you for willingness to share your insights over a 40-year career that is going strong. And uh, my friend, in the spirit of James Lipton's Inside the Actors Studio, I uh, lined up some questions uh, for listeners to learn about and from you. So can I go off with those? You may. So, Michael, what do you consider success? Well, first, uh, it's a it's a really uh, multi-dimensional and interesting question. In that, I don't think that one size fits all. I think that you know I've had an opportunity, very unusual opportunity, Molly, to represent some of the biggest stars in the world, and I can tell you that the old adage that money does not purchase happiness is true. But I can also tell you that poverty guarantees misery. And so um, somewhere in between those two uh, becomes a, ca a canvas for each individual person. I wonder if life doesn't begin with one question. And, and when I say life, I mean personal and professional life. I wonder if life does not begin with one question that has two parts. And that the question is, what do you most want? And what are you willing to give up to get it? Now, I would argue that until you can answer that question comfortably and without hesitation, you're probably driving in a circle. 
every uh, all things come with trade-offs. If you want great professional success, you're going to sacrifice other things. If you want great personal success, you're going to sacrifice other things. And, and it becomes incumbent upon each person to define what they most want, what they're willing to give up to get it. Thank you. Profound. And it's really got me thinking. So I hope listeners, uh, it's provoking thought for you as well. So you mentioned that your parents ingrained in you the will to succeed. Um, no, I ingrained it in myself. My parents, uh, I did not grow up in a good home. There was alcoholism in the home. Now, anyone listening to this who's experienced alcoholism in a home knows that it's a challenge. You effectively raise yourself. But in addition to that, I had a disability uh, when I was growing up many years ago, which wasn't as well understood as it is today. Today, we all or many people know what dyslexia is. But 40 or 50 years ago, we had a different word for it. It was called dumb. And so I barely graduated high school. And it was I guess a destiny or my own decision to move in the direction that I thought would be the right one for me and away from the uh, any uh, that I thought would be the wrong one for me. So um, my parents instilled in me the uh, fierce urgency of necessity, and that's very important. You know, I've worked with a lot of young people over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, usually in their 20s, 20 to 25. And so many of them seem so terribly handicapped by their parents not giving them the fierce urgency of necessity by caring, over caring for them, over protecting them. So. So, Michael, for you, what is the biggest factor in your own sustained success? Would you say it's that? Drive. drive. A willingness, a drive. A willingness to give up most things in search of one big thing. And so, for example, you know, you could ask me any number of questions. I don't take two weeks off for Christmas. I don't take a week off for Easter. I don't take two days off for Halloween. I I am very focused uh, on my bigger dream and goal. And one might argue that's why it, some of it's been achieved, but it comes with a big cost. It was the right choice for me. It doesn't mean it's the right choice for you or for anyone listening. Yeah. So what is your dream? You've done so much. So what is your bigger dream now, Michael? to share with the world that underdogs can do just about anything if they're willing to both work hard. And I, by work hard, let me be a little more clear, Molly. I don't mean 40 hours a week or 50 or even 60. If one is an underdog, and that in modern life is usually defined by a person who doesn't have a four-year college education. Only 33% of Americans are walking around with a four-year college education. 
Now, that seems incredible to people who've been to college because they don't know anyone who didn't go to college. But that means that 67% of Americans are walking around with no college edu- no college degree. Now, those people in modern American parlance would be considered underdogs, uh, some more than others. And it, I, my life's mission as I close out my last chapter is to tell them that they, they are not uh, in any way removed from the game. The contemporary logic of selling to Americans' victimhood is one of the most destructive, maybe even evil things that's occurred in the last 20 years. If you want to be broke and exhausted and frustrated, all you have to do is think of yourself as a victim and you will be broke, exhausted and frustrated. If on the other hand, you say, I don't want to be broke, exhausted and frustrated, uh, then you can not think of yourself as a victim. And um, whether you are or you're not, you may well be a victim, but thinking of yourself as a victim is terribly limiting in my mind. Uh, we are our thoughts. Thank you for that, Michael. Uh, I appreciate the dyslexia. When you look back, uh, or what was, or perhaps it still is, the most challenging thing for you, as in what's, what's hard for you? Well, you know, when you have dyslexia, Molly, you get sometimes daily, often hourly reminders of your inferiority. And it doesn't sound maybe as, that sounds rather dramatic, but little things like going to parking meters, texting, uh, things that would be normally quite easy for even a 10-year-old to do become much more difficult um, when you're uh, have a disability. Thank you for that. Uh, you've worked with so many people directly, and I'm, I'm sure there's many. But who who would you say you most admire, Michael? And I do. I, I I have created in myself, Molly, and this may not be a good thing, but it, but it's true. Uh, a very clinical approach to my partnerships. I don't have favorite, in the same way a doctor doesn't have a favorite patient, I don't have a favorite client. I work on each person with the intensity as if they're my only client, my only partner, and I don't I don't allow myself to move into directions of emotional connection and this was the most fun or something of that sort. Have you fired clients? I have. Um, Generally, the rule is when your self-destruction outweighs your talent, off you go. So if a person is given a great talent, but they have an even greater willingness or capacity to self-destruct, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And uh, now that's not always been the case, and I've learned that over time. Any folks that you did try to help and turn the corner, or did you just leave them? No, listen, advice is best given when asked for. So if I were talking to you, Molly, about any number of things, the first thing, you know, if I had some advice for you, which I don't, but if I did, 
I'd say, Molly, listen, I've observed some things that I think could be of some modest value to you. Now, if you're open to hearing them, let me know. And if not, that's perfectly fine. But when advice is thrust upon people, it's usually not good for either the receiver or the giver. I'm so smiley. That is skillful. And we have covered that on the show before. So thank you for modeling that perfectly. Michael, uh, I'm sure you've had many tough conversations. Is there a tough conversation you can share with listeners that you worked through? Well, you know, Molly, let's, let's bring up the topic. I, I think it's a very interesting topic about difficult conversations. Now, first of all, for whatever reason, the universe or, or human beings are designed to need difficult conversations. Now, that sounds kind of painful or unpleasant, but it's true. And the reason that we need difficult conversations is because those are the only ones in which we grow. And since as human beings were put on this planet for a modest, relatively short period of time, and we're here to grow, difficult conversations play a big role. But we're living in a modern world in which people hide as you know, probably better than anyone on planet email and on planet text. And they're avoiding in some, on some level, consciously or subconsciously, difficult conversations, which means they won't grow. And so, um, you know, in offering advice to young people, I give them outrageous counsel, which none of them I'm sure are going to do, but I, I tell them anyway, I say, first thing first, if you want your life to get better, reduce your, now I'm talking in this case to teenagers and um, young 20s. If you want your life to get better, reduce your texting by 95%. Of course, they look at me as if I've just told them to jump off a building. <laughs> but I promise you that if they reduce their texting by 95%, and I only call that a start, their life would enhance in a lot of unpredictable and interesting ways. Now, of course, they're not going to do it. And uh, so modern life provides almost an unlimited amount of challenges for uh, for people to grow. And uh, that is why we're in part, why we're in some of the mess we're in. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So growth. I mean, Molly, I don't know if you know the statistic. I, I just can't believe it's true. 20% of all romantic relationships in America today. Now that's not 20% of young people. It's all romantic relationships. So that means theoretically people in their 60s. 20% of all romantic relationships in America today end by text message. Now, if you think about that for a minute, and you fully grasp the absurdity, the, 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 the idiocy and the almost evilness of that, um, the cruelty, then you get it. And, and one does not need to be Freud or Einstein to figure out that if in 2023, 20% of all romantic relationships are ending by text, what's the likelihood five years from now that the number is going to be greater than that? 
It's a very, very sad. Very dispiriting. Very, very sad, tragic, dispiriting. Yep. You know, and I think this is where part of the solution, it's the ability to, I would say, with some skill, highlight that without doing something about it more proactively, you kind of stand on the sideline silently, and then you know what? We're enabling it. So we have a chance to raise it. You know, I talked to people who got fired by emails. I'm like, what? You had an email that said you were fired? Literally. Yeah, Yeah, it's... uh and, and what's interesting in my mind, or even more painful, is if we polled people who fired people by email, let's say we found 100 people who had fired others by email, and we said to them, do you think you, what you did was wrong? I don't think half of them would say, yes, I do. I'm embarrassed by it, and I, I, I regret it. I think most would say, well, what's wrong with that? Same with the 20% who end romantic relationships with text. They don't think there's a thing wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, It's it's a very, and this means that those of us, those who are listening to this, that find these things terribly, terribly disheartening, saddening, repulsive in certain ways, must make a greater effort to not be one of those people. Don't be that guy or girl. Don't. I don't want you to turn out to be a person that ends a romantic relationship with text, by text. Don't be that girl or guy, ever, for any reason. Here, here, I'm with you, I'm with you. Uh, Michael, on this topic of growth, which comes from our mistakes, I call them learning moments, um, a mistake or even a regret that you might share with listeners? Well, you know, regrets are interesting things um, and they should be reviewed because in the end, people respect wisdom, but obey pain. And uh, I've tried to look at my life in ways that I think that In a couple of situations, if I were to review some mistakes I've made, I would say that I moved too quickly, that I didn't allow a necessary, normal, healthy process to play out in its own way. I I, I tried to speed or rush the process along, and I think that has proven to be at the core of a couple of the mistakes I've made. That is a great wisdom. Thank you for sharing. Now, I know, you know Molly, your- there's a fun little saying that I like a lot, and I'll share it with you. And if I were talking to you personally, here's what I would say. You know, Molly, it's a funny thing, life. If you lend twenty someone $20 and they don't pay you back, We call that a good investment. You see, Molly, for only $20, for two $10 bills, you got to find out who these people really are, their character. And um, that's such an inexpensive way of learning something. So uh, there we are. 
That is fabulous. It's fabulous. And your your expertise uh, is telling stories. So I know we're wrapping it up here, but what, what makes for a great story? Well, all the things that Shakespeare wrote about, isn't it? We, we yearn for uh, conclusion, drama, uh, a protagonist, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the story arc of com- compelling storytelling is really rather uh, well-reviewed in a number of books on writing, it, you know, and, and there's so much similarity. It, and by the way, too many people, as you know, whether it be through audiobook or, or book reading, are not reading. And here's something for your listeners to consider. Leaders are readers. If you yearn to be a leader, a fuller, greater person in your life, and you're not reading books, whether it be by audio tape or by reading however you read them, uh, you're probably not going to have the destiny that you allege you want. So That's very wise. So you have found your voice. I see you succeeding on your terms, Michael. A thought for listeners on their finding their voices and succeeding the way they'd like? I would say this, Molly. Um, I'm not very bright, but I am above average at watching what bright people do. And that's been pretty helpful. But I'll tell you another secret. I'm probably even better at watching what dopey people do. And that's probably been even more important. So my parting advice to your wonderful listeners is to observe. Observe those who you want to be like. Observe those who you don't want to be like. Um, and, and try to limit your try to do more of the things that winners do and less of the things that losers do and you'll probably end up on the winning side of uh, of life wisest words ever michael i am beyond grateful for you Thank sharing you. your thoughts Thank i invite you. listeners to learn more about you and your firm at boundlessmediausa.com uh, you if i could be any small iota of help to you uh, i am here for you i want to thank you for being part of the solution and helping all of us be seen you. heard and understood you take good care michael thank you dear molly bye-bye bye-bye oh what a treat so a reminder, folks, more resources for you on my website, sayitskillfully.com and sign up for my mailing list and encourage you to check out my free mini course and get a head start on uh, speaking as positively and productively as Michael just did. Uh, on to our callers today. We're going to my old stomping ground in upstate New York, where Jim is joining us. Welcome to the show, Jim. How are you? I I am well. Thank you for having me. Uh that was a great interview. I want to meet Michael. He just makes, I'm so, I was so blessed. Uh, shout out to Jerry Edling. I forgot to mention Jerry is a friend who connected me and, uh, you know, just, I, I was really, really taken in a very short span, lots of words and wisdom. 
What uh, what landed for you, Jim? Oh, there were a couple of things, but uh, um, big ones take away. Uh, what I, if I, you know, and sometimes when I uh, give a talk about entrepreneurship, uh, somebody will ask a really, really great question. And one of the questions that was asked of me was, okay, that was good, Jim. Now, can you reduce all that down to one word? And I was thinking when I was listening to Michael, I thought, okay, how can I reduce all those comments and stories down to one word? And the word that I picked was discipline. He had the discipline to go after what he wanted, what he needed. And I see that in in so many entrepreneurs that I encounter, you know, they they uh, you know, they look at their dream and they have little idea of what it's going to take to get there. So that was the one takeaway. The other one was poor parents versus uh, amazing parents. And uh, one of the things that Michael and I have in common, even though never met him, is that we're both storytellers. So I have a friend who was born with polio and uh, he wanted to become a professional baseball player. Now, this is amazing. His, his parents said, you know, he's walking around in braces since birth. His parents said, no, you know, why don't you pick something else? You know, that your chances of playing professional baseball are zero. They never said that. He told his dad, I want to become a, a professional ba baseball player. And his dad said, well, I guess we better get to it. Start throwing the ball around. And he grew up to be the only professional baseball player to play pro ball from crutches. His name is Dave Clark. He's a good friend of mine. You know, check him out on YouTube. He's an amazing guy. And I think about amazing parents versus poor parents. So Michael had poor parents, yet he grew up to be an amazing individual. So I'm still foggy around that. What? What is that? One person has amazing parents and they have an handicap and their parents support him to the end. I mean, his dad just never even gave a thought that his son wouldn't grow up to be a, a professional baseball player. He's just like, let's get to it. Where in Michael's case, you know, his parents were very poor and he was able to overcome that. So that I would like, you know, to sit down with Michael and just take that subject matter and just take it out to the end to see where it goes. Yeah, that's really well put. Wonderful way to synthesize that into one word, because that is the word. I wouldn't have gotten there. So thank you for that, Jim. Oh, and you're I kind. have to, you're, you're have too to kind. Meet, <laughs> I have to meet Dave Clark. I have to meet Dave Clark. Oh yeah. Oh. Check him out. He's, he's um, uh, got a website and we were talking about books earlier. He wrote a book. And I know everybody sends you books, but I'm going to send you this one. And it's called Pulling Each Other Along. And it's it's just stories of people who have just the odds were against them. And they they uh, have overcome great odds. And uh, he's featured in the book, but also uh, some other people that he has met uh, along the way. And he, so 
I'll send it to you, even though uh, you'll put it in a stack with all your other books to read. Uh, oh, I appreciate your generosity. And I can already tell you that I'll be grabbing that one top because that kind of inspiration, you just can't get enough yeah. of. Can't get enough each, of. Each chapter is written by a different person. And um, probably some of the, I'm sure some of the people you will recognize. So I, I've read the book a couple of times. But what I like to do is I, I like to get up in the morning with a cup of coffee and just flop the book open and read that chapter. And I'm like, oh, man, if that person can overcome those difficulties, my day is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> I love that perspective. That is absolutely a game on perspective. Uh, okay, so what uh, I imagine you had a challenging conversation or sensitive kind of situation on your mind. So let's hear what's on your mind. Uh, a couple of them. Uh, so. The conversations that I struggle with, and this this is probably a good one for your listeners, is that you can probably gather from my tone, it, you know, I'm a baby boomer. So every once in a while, you know, a client will call me up and they'll ask me to come in and be part of a team. And it's, you know, I forgot how many generations there are now. There's X, Y, Z. I have no idea how many generations there are. I struggle. I struggle um, with communicating uh, some of the some of the generation uh, that are around the table, and uh, that's why I become such a fan of you know say it skillfully because I'm like okay, uh, my style, and I've tried this with you know dismal resort results. It's like you know I'll be around the table and. So I'll tell you this quick story. Sometimes when I have too much caffeine, I know it's just not good. So this particular day, I was supposed to go to a meeting with a bunch of uh, Generation XYZ, and uh, I knew I had too much coffee. And I thought, you know, I should probably just, you know, text them and say I'm not able to make the meeting. Then I thought, you know what? They're paying me good money to be at this meeting. So that's not going to fly. So what I did was I took a bold Sharpie and I wrote, I wrote across the palm of my hand, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and so every time I was tempted to talk, I just folded the hand in front of me and I read that note. And uh, I thought, okay, the meaning's blinding down on an end. I'm, I'm going to make it. I think, I think I'm going to make it. And as we're winding down, the team leader says, um, you know, Jim, um, haven't heard anything from you. Um, you know, he actually said, you know, we're paying you good money to be here. You know, um, you know, which, what do you think? And I said, well, it was, you know, it's a good meeting. I'm looking at my hand. Keep your mouth shut. It's a good meeting. You know, I, I think everything's gone along well. And then he says, you know, um, I think there's something on your mind. What's on your mind? Boom. There I go. You want to know what's on my mind? I'll tell you what's on my mind. This team has not made its last three dates. You keep uh, toll gate reviews. You keep pushing it out there, kicking the can down the road, as they say. And I'll tell you what, if I was the financial stakeholder of this team, I think I'd fire you all. Well, it was a 20-minute drive from there back to my office. And when I got back to my office, I got an email said, you're fired. 
So that's, but see, that's the kind of environment that, you know, I grew up in. It's, you know, I grew up in a very demanding manufacturing world where my boss would say, hey, you better get your butt out there and get that project back on track. That doesn't fly all the time. So yeah, you have to really uh, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) So. Okay. I really appreciate you sharing this. That's a great show of vulnerability. And let's take this real time because it's really, really important, especially when you've got the decades of experience that you have to be able to share that wisdom in a way that lands. And um, so I think, you know, I'm not at all pretending whether it's X, Y, or Z, but I think that idea of one knowing your audience, right? If you have observed a meeting, right, you can just think about, you know, is it a very acknowledgey? Some folks are very acknowledgey. Did you notice any disagreement or not? So I might just ask you as you were, you know, over caffeinated, keeping your mouth shut, what did, how would you maybe describe in a few words, the dynamic of what you observed? The, the, so what I, what I, observed was um this was a um a new person leading this team at first and and that was the person that hired me and everything was going along smoothly and that person got promoted and then they brought in another person um who i i think just was assigned that team and probably didn't want to be there that was the uh, one of the things I picked up on it right away. But getting, you know, your question involves a thought I had with Michael. And, you know, so with the whole email, you know, breaking up by email. And so much of communication, which is what your question is, what did I observe, you know, nonverbal, they, and you know this, you know, this is right in your wheelhouse, Molly, is that what you say and, and, the nonverbal actions that you demonstrate are two different things. So um, when you're when you're texting somebody, I've learned that you you uh, some some people will text me, you know, a long text, and let's say it's a challenging question or subject, I I immediately call them because I've learned you cannot have, or at least I don't have the talent to have a text message because so much. So much of the nonverbal is lost. And it's tough to make an observation. You know, it's it's kind of like that old joke. You know, it, it's a joke between uh, uh, my wife, Margaret, and I. You know, we'll be having a discussion. And uh, one of us will say, one of us will say, fine. And, and she'll say, is that fine as in fine? Or is that fine and kiss my backside fine? So, you know, you you can tell you can tell which fine it is when you're in the room with that person, but not so much in a text message. Right. So, so go back to the so this person, I got it. The person who hired you isn't there. So this is a new leader. And you're mm-hmm. sensing they don't necessarily really want to be there. So, but what else about the the interaction of the other people? You know, are, are folks uh speaking up a lot? Are people, you know, is it no. quite lively? No, they're they're uh, they're quiet because the person that doesn't want to be there is actually demonstrating that in um, 
the way they're running the meeting in their, their nonverbal language. Uh, I mean, if you're a leader, you want to be the first one to a meet. You, you definitely want to show up on time. And, you know, you want to hang out at the end to see if anybody who was a little bit shy at the meeting wants to discuss something with you. And I think the team picked up on that right away. So one of the things I noticed is the leaders showing up late. People started showing up late. Um, they're, you know, instead of paying attention, you know, they're checking their email, which when I run a meeting, that that's just not acceptable. I just say checking your email while I'm having a meeting is unacceptable. So it was the, you know, so it it really comes down to that leadership position and uh, demonstrating that um, you know you're you're here to you're here to lead the team. You know, here's here's how the team is going to communicate. Uh, here here are the rules that we can agree upon and. Uh, you know, I, I worked um, same company. They asked me to come in uh, to a team, pretty pretty good team. This was very positive, with the exception of one person who demonstrated in their non nonverbal communication they didn't want to be there. So I just after the meeting I said, hey, um, you know, I can tell you're uncomfortable and you don't want to be here. I said, you know, how can I how can I help you, you know, get a little more comfortable? And they're like, well, I don't want to be here. Period. And so I said, well, I can help with that. And they're like, well, how can how can you help? My boss said I should be part of this team. And I said, well, why don't you um, ask your boss for a meeting and say you think you would be better, health, more helpful, more comfortable with another team? I said, there's several teams going on that uh, your skill and your intelligence would do very well at. And I said, so what's a team you'd like to be on? And he named one. And I said, ask your boss if you can just transfer over to that team. It was that simple. He said, hey, I'd like to transfer from this team over to that team. And it all happened. And then I saw him in the hallway. He goes, wow, thanks. I didn't think it would be that easy. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to interject here because I want to get us back to this um, so that we can solve it a bit. And it may be the right thing that you moved on from this client, but for folks listening, um, I would offer your hired as consultant the ability to share your observations is a starting point. And again, if this is a new leader, Jim, and you didn't have the relationship you did with the first person, it could be acknowledging, oh, so and so, appreciate the meeting. And you know, you and I haven't had a chance to spend as much time together. And then share what you notice without judging it. And I can hear in your voice because I know you've got a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And I'm not saying that's not accurate for others. The ability to say, you know, here's what I noticed. And I'm wondering how that serves you, you know, and let them go with that. And perhaps I'm not here to solve it. Uh, I think you could say, I have to be honest, what I'm seeing is missing dates three times in a row. And I'm surprised that wasn't talked about. So I'm wondering about that. So it's a little bit of not maybe getting to the point that you want to get to, but it's opening the door with one step. And that gives you a chance to see if people, how they respond to that. Is there receptivity before kind of launching your way down the, all the way down the field? So let me just pause. How's that land? 
That is spot on. Um, one of the things that Michael mentioned was uh, he moves too quickly. And uh, that's that's a, a challenge that uh, I, I work to overcome. And that's where the whole caffeinated thing is. If you think I move too quickly without caffeine, catch me after 10 cups of coffee. And so um, you're spot on. I did, I, and I thought about this this quite a bit and i'm thinking you know i really didn't give the a chance um to really build a trusting relationship where you know it it could have been it could have gotten to the point where so let's say that person is struggling with the time schedule or whatever and it and it could have ideally gotten to the point where he calls me and says hey jim i'm going to be a little bit late can you run the meeting for me today and I never gave that a chance to happen. And so um, you're spot on, Molly. Well, I appreciate that. I'll call that your top takeaway of uh, that opportunity to engender trust and how powerful that can be, Jim. You uh, are a bright light for me. Thanks so much for joining us. If I can help in a tiny way for you, my friend, you know how to reach me. And um, oh, yeah. I thank you for being part of the solution. And uh, we'll look forward to connecting hopefully very soon. You have helped me in more ways that you know, just by following you. Thank you, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Take good care. Okay. You have a wonderful day. Thanks, Molly. Ciao, ciao. Oh, okay. On to the South in Georgia. And I am thrilled to welcome Heidi to the show. Heidi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Molly. How are you? I am fabulous. And I'm very curious, what is top of mind for you? Well, I've, I've had this conversation now. Um, I, it, it's, it's been for years, and it's kind of come to a head this past few weeks, and, and I thought about you immediately when it happened. So as you know, I work a full-time job, which is wonderful, but I use all of my, all of my vacation time, all of my PTO days, everything, um, traveling globally to do keynote speeches uh, on behalf of breast cancer patient advocacy. That's my, that's my passion. That's what I do. Um, and I'm not alone. There are a myriad of other patient advocates, not just in the breast cancer space, but you know, across every disease space um, or chronic illness space. And we frequently will be asked to come attend events as keynote. And, and very rarely is it just a keynote. You know, you, you go as a keynote and then you end up on four other panels. Um, and it's there are many of us out there in this space and you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. We're, we're very active. Um, however, when we sit on a panel, as happened recently, there's a patient advocate, there might be a doctor in the same disease space, there might be a researcher there, and someone from the pharma industry. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good, a wide swath of everyone that represents. Everyone sitting on that panel is compensated with one exception. The patient advocate is very rarely compensated financially. Um, and by that, I mean, um, and this, again, it happens frequently. We'll receive a solicitation. Hey, we'd love to have you come speak and present. We've been following you for quite some time on social media. We think you'd be a great voice to add. Here's the topic. Um, would you like to come and present on thus and such a day? You know, the patient advocate will review their calendar at work and say, you know what? I have three days of vacation left. I can take it because this will only use two days. I have to travel out there, et cetera. Patient advocate responds to the person hosting the event and says, great. Uh, will you be booking my flights or will I? And when will I have my hotel confirmation? Can we talk about a stipend? 
And Molly, I cannot tell you the number of times that the answer is, oh, no, 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 no. You're a patient advocate. We don't we don't have funds allocated for you. Um, and it's at first it was shocking, but now it's commonplace. Now, you know, it, it just happens so frequently that people, because they're a patient, even though they may have lived with this disease for a long time and are the best experts for that disease, they're not considered as worthy, if you will, as as the medical professionals, even though we're the ones who can lend our voices and really point out things that everyone else wouldn't get. Um, and this conversation happened quite recently. Um, and the number of patient advocates around the table who were saying, yeah, me too. Did you get that invitation? So did I. I can't believe they wanted us to fly, you know, to the other side of the globe on our own dime, use our own vacation time, you know, lose money. <laughs> it, it was it was ridiculous. So I would like to ask you, how can we elegantly say, yes, we'd love to participate, but you have to help us shoulder some of the costs without seeming, I mean, we're doing it because our heart, we want to help other people, right? We're doing it because we really care and we don't want to see other people fall into the same problems that we had in that disease space. So we want to help people, but we also don't want to hurt our ourselves or our family to do so. Uh, wow. <laughs> First off, Thank you to you and countless others who stand tall and are so inspirational for what you've overcome and how you're helping others. So first and foremost, Heidi, my thanks to you for um, really to serve is to live and you are that in spades. Okay. Uh, so I think there is some powers in numbers, number one, and, and having a concerted strategy because I could see a Rolodex, well, Heidi can't do it. And then we would jump, jump through. So I do think um, having solidarity amongst your peer group is great. I think the, I get that it's a norm. So that's, if you will, their habit. So we don't want to yeah. make folks wrong or bad. That's just how it is. And you're standing for change. And I think it's important to ask yourself, what, what do you want? Do you want all the air? Do you want X stipend? Just have a sense of what you want, because in some cases that's a choice thing. And yep. so just that, that part, no one else can decide. So let's just say um, that the ability to have all the travel covered and addition to uh, a stipend that you think makes it worth your time, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And then you talk to someone, oh, great. We'll call her Brenda. Brenda, this is so super. And then Brenda's, you know, like, okay, Brenda, I'd like to understand what you'll cover. Oh, no, no, you have to cover everything. Mm -hmm. So of course you're like, very, you're not surprised. Oh, <laughs> Brenda, that's so fascinating. So let me just ask, who else is attending? They go through that. You're kind of seeking first to understand. Uh, I'd like to understand what the compensation is for the other panel members, please. And so you ask, you say, huh. Okay, yeah. so, um, you know, uh, I do see a very unique vantage point that only I can add, which I, um, you know, and I've done this for a long time. So I have really been told that it, Oftentimes, it's the most powerful voice that people hear. So it's interesting to me, what, what, why is it that you don't compensate the patient advocates? Pause. Then you're just waiting, patiently waiting. Well, we've never done it before. Oh, I can so appreciate that. Now, I'm just wondering if you're open to considering a different compensation for this. And if they're not, they're not. That's okay. And you can yeah. you could decide to do it or not, right? But you're asking questions. You're not annoyed. You're asking. 
and if they're they're worth you. And and my sense is these folks, they're not trying to take advantage. They're just kind of saying they think this is the way it works because the patient advocates have been okay with it to date, but maybe that's changed, right? So then you say, you know, okay, so you're working through and if, you know, part of that conversation could be, you know, Brenda, you know, I, I, I actually have a full-time job and so I'm thrilled and I consider a great privilege to be able to spend my free time um, to support folks. But, you know, you just imagine like, this is all like volunteer, right? So just imagine in my shoes, what would you feel like if you saw these other folks getting compensated, but then arguably the person with the greatest value add isn't? Good. Pause. So you have a chance to just talk it through. So I've said a lot. I want to pause and feel like, Heidi, how how would that work for you? What are words that that you could see yourself using? I I like I like that um, <laughs> your primary advice is you're not angry. You're just curious. You're, you know, you're not acting out of anger. You, you just find your calm center. <laughs> I do like that. Um, I there is a there's a woman um, with whom I am, am friends, and she is a patient advocate as well. Her solution is very easy because she she has a um, she has a nonprofit called the Pink Fund, and she wrote an article about this actually. And she never requests money for herself. It's always for the nonprofit. If you'd like to make a stipend, please do so to my nonprofit. That's beautiful. But the majority of us don't have that. So I've kind of been struggling with the words. You know, if I'm if I'm not Molly McDonald, how do I ask for this for myself? You know, because it. You're right. We we do have powerful voices. But we are, I mean, we're, I'm, I have four children and a husband that I'm leaving to go do this and, and sacrificing all of my vacation time. So there has to be, it has to be worth it other than just, I really, really care about this. <laughs> so I, I love your advice about first be, be calm and not angry because they don't know if it's something that they've always done, they might not know that people want to see it done differently. So I, I really appreciate that. That's super. Let's, let's talk about the, what the amount might be that would be covering, you know, and I, and I think it's important to just get a sense for the dollars. If they're pulling together an event and, you know, I'll just make this up. Everyone's getting $5,000 to show up for that event. Right. I mean, we're not talking $50,000 here. So understand what that is. And, you know, I just say, Hey, would you consider that? And um, that is uh, really a way to help me support you know, you and others like you, I mean, I think there's a value proposition that makes it, it's like, oh, am I going to go, I'm going to go to the store and buy myself, you know, so I think it's just like, this is a way to compensate and enable me to spread my wings and serve even more folks. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think it's, it is like the, for the person who has a nonprofit, but I also think that you have to value yourself and your time for others to value your, 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 your time and your service. And again, there's a fine line here because I understand, but you know, I also think there's an allerg- a learning and educational educational component, perhaps, that you're doing a service for the others in learning, not just supporting the folks who are overcoming illness. Oh, very good, very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, I am curious, how does your family handle you spending? so much time, you know, in service. Is that ever, uh, is that ever an edge? Do you ever bring them with you? Um, actually, uh, when I, 
Yes. Yes, they do. I, they are able to come with me. Um, although my husband has requested that I not invite him to what he considers to be horribly boring places. But, you know, he's asked in the past, you know, what about Hawaii? Is anybody ever going to ask you to, <laughs> to go there? He'd like to join me. But I do. I try to spread it out and bring since I have four, chi- four children. Um, I invite one child to come with me if we have enough airline miles to do so. You know, because, again, it's a financial stressor. Um, so if we have enough airline miles to cover a child to come with me, we do. Um, initially, when I first started speaking, people would compensate for my travel and my son because I was pregnant with him when I went through my first round of cancer. Uh, so they wanted to see him. They wanted to see the little miracle baby that, that survived all of that. So they were willing to pay for his ticket. Um, but he is a wonderfully shy person, and he has requested not ever to go to another cancer event. <laughs> Darling, that he went. For folks who are going through treatment, or loved ones of folks who are going through treatment, Heidi, any uh, encouragement or words of support you would offer? Oh my goodness, yes! Don't you are not alone. You are not alone, even though you feel like it, and I know you do. I know at two o'clock in the morning you feel like there is no one out there that can understand. But we are now in a in a place technologically that you can reach out to someone on the other side of the globe who has exactly your situation and, and is willing to talk to you on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and if you don't have the wherewithal to access things like um, hardware, if you don't have Wi-Fi, if you don't have high-speed internet, if you don't have hardware, um, talk to your oncologist, talk to the nurses at your oncology office. They have um, people in social services who can help you get a tablet or a you know, computer so that you can be connected. If you let them know, here's what I need um, and be bold with your needs. Let your, everyone's going to come at you and say, oh, if you need anything, let me know. Get a list, get a list together and say, you know what? I, I can't take care of my lawn anymore. I need someone to shovel my snow. Somebody has to help me walk my dog. Get that list together and hand it to them. So when someone does the polite, oh, let me know if you need anything, you could say, I do. Here it is. <laughs> be bold and reach out to the rest of us who are in your community because we really do want to help. Oh, I love the support that you're providing. And uh, and I, I know that listeners appreciate you. Uh, we covered a lot in our chat. So I would like to just finish it up with Heidi, your own top takeaway. Oh, my goodness. I loved the idea that Jim put forth of like one word that kind of describes everyone that that spoke. Um, the first the, the first gentleman was like absolutely tenacious. Um, you know, did not give up. Um, and, and Jim was open. He was open to explore, you know, other ideas outside of his own. Um, and I think mine just kind of lands, as always, on hope. Yes, uh, you are hope. I am always, always cheering for you with the biggest smile on my face. Thank you for making time, for being part of the solution. Any way I can help you, I'm here. Heidi, you take good care, and I hope our paths will cross soon. And I'm expecting you in New York soon so that I can cheer you on when you're on the stage. Yay! (laughs) Thanks, Molly. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Okay, folks. Uh, Doesn't get any better. My thought for the week, hats off to Michael. The fierce urgency of necessity can drive greatness. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions 
execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief, starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 